You just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. Unacceptable in all areas. Unacceptable coaching, unacceptable playing, unacceptable effort, not what we're about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. We lied to them during recruiting or we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Like I said, coach our kids to, to do the right thing. And, uh, you know, play with poise, play with confidence, play with dignity, play with class. At the same time, we're not going to take anyone's shit either. We want to be a big, fast, dominating, aggressive, relentless football team that nobody in the SEC wants to play. Now, that's all, sir. It's second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. Hey, hey, I don't like getting it. It's the only time we're ever getting excited about second. From now on, it's first, okay? No, I want to do is fucking eat. I want you to eat. I want you to eat. I want you to want this shit. Do you want it? Do you want it? Show me. Bunch of this did it again. Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? <laughs> hey, babe, what's going on? Hey, Shane, we picked a hell of a day to take the day off, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> Mike said, nothing going on, and then all the schedules are dropped. <laughs> Well, we'll get into the schedules in just a second, Shane, but I wanted to touch on another one of these coaches that turned down Tennessee. Now we got this coach that never says anything in any of these press conferences, and the Vols missed out on some of the most uh, outspoken guys (laughs) in all of college football. Let's jump to old Mike Gundy talking about bed-checking his 29-year-old punter. I think he's doing well, you know, but he's married. His wife's here. So, uh... She said that uh, bed check was kind of weird the other day, um, and uh, I said we they probably don't need to bed check Tom anymore. <laughs> he's 29. He's worked five years at a paper mill, 10 hours a day, so he's I'm somewhat understands going to bed at night. But uh, he's doing really well. Very unique person. Um, a lot of fun to be around. I think he's glad that he's here. All right, Shane. So bed check's a little <laughs> bit different when you got a 29-year-old punter who's married. Just a little awkward, Mike. <laughs> when your player is older than you are. <laughs> Anybody checking that Miami punter, making sure he ain't doing something? That's the one they need to be checking on. <laughs> He's probably got a couple wives down there in Miami. I wouldn't oh, be surprised. But I, I don't think they do bed checks at, at Miami. No, no, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Shane, so we teased it before we go around the league. The 2020 SEC football schedules came out, and, uh, you know, Shane and I were talking right before we hopped on here, and, you know, he doesn't understand why this is news, really, because we we knew who these teams were playing, but for anyone that's not aware, uh, with the release comes when the games are, essentially, when the bye weeks are, how everything lays out. We knew Georgia and Alabama were playing, Shane. But we didn't know it was going to be week three of the season. How about that, Shane? Alabama hosting Georgia in week three of the SEC football schedule in 2020. How about that? Honestly, man, I think that's where you'd want them. You know, because when it comes down to playoff time, mm-hmm. they, they don't think about week three, you know, as opposed to having them the last SEC game, you know, if you drop that one, there's a chance you get knocked out of the playoffs for it. 
But either one of these teams are going to be set up in a pretty nice situation. Whoever loses has still got an entire season to, to create a resume on getting into the playoffs. So if you're a Georgia or Bama fan and you knew this game was coming, I think you're happy that it's week three. Yeah, that's a good point because it, it does seem the polls favor, you know, winning streaks, who's hot at the end. You lose in that final, you know, week or two. They kind of – seems like they, they definitely dock you more than they do early in the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, some other notes, we – you know, this had been reported but uh, officially confirmed. Uh, the Georgia – Auburn game that was moved up so that's going to be in October that's going to be uh, October 10th so usually that's a November game and on the flip side the result of that Georgia and Tennessee that's flipped to November so now that's a November 14 game Shane what do you think about your Vols playing Georgia in mid-November now oh you know I haven't even looked at the schedule I know that's sad but please say there's a bye week before this game uh (laughs) Well, let's see here. For for Tennessee, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, I don't Georgia doesn't need a bye week. We need a bye week to prepare for this bad boy. So, I'm just curious where 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 a bye is next year or two byes. No, well, that's another thing I wanted to hit on, Shane. I think the NCAA is making a mistake because they're going back to only one bye for the 2020 schedule. And I've had people come at me saying, well, Labor Day, football's got to start on Labor Day. I don't know where people are getting that. I don't think it's written in stone that that has to be the case. Uh, Obviously, in the 2019 schedule, we got two bye weeks. I think that's perfect. We're going back to one, Shane, so there's only one. And speaking of Tennessee, it's right in the middle of the schedule, so it's not going to be a bye week for that Georgia Mm. game, but it is going to be a bye week for Alabama. Okay, okay. Here's that's one of my main takeaways, Shane, when I saw this schedule, because Tennessee will obviously have two weeks now to prepare for Alabama. They're getting the Crimson Tide in Neyland Stadium. And perhaps more importantly, Shane, this will be the last game on Alabama's schedule before they get a bye. So they're gonna have to go eight consecutive before they play Tennessee. Mm. And the last time I remember this exact scenario playing out, Shane, was twenty fifteen. Tennessee played at Alabama, coming off a bye, and Alabama was tired after eight consecutive games. Oh yeah, we kicked a field goal and won. <laughs> and the Vols—I mean, they had the fourth—they <laughs> had the lead in the fourth quarter. So I mean, yeah. that was a—that was a tight game. And if Tennessee's ever going to beat Alabama again, Shane, 2020 is looking like an ideal time for the Vols to get that done. Heck yeah! Is that the Lane Kiffin year? We got Cody blocked the field goal. No, that this was oh. uh, with uh, Butch Jones and Dobbs and oh, it was fifteen. The year, the, I got you. The, yes. Yeah, the year Tennessee was was had, pretty good. We had that fumble there in the last drive. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that was a game that went down to the wire, and yep. you got to think Jeremy Pruitt's year three team is going to be pretty solid. I mean, if ever everything lined up <laughs> to end that damn streak, you think twenty twenty might be it. <laughs> yeah, it may be Mike. I don't know. Maybe twenty twenty one. I don't know. If we're just <laughs> <laughs> you got that schedule, Andy. Uh, let me ask you something on the on the bye week deal because this is the first I'm hearing about this. So, can you explain to me why they're going back down to a one game bye or one week bye? No, I mean there's no rationale for why they go back and forth. I mean, I've heard people say that that uh, you know there's just not enough weekends between Labor Day and I guess December, what have you. But I think that's a stupid excuse because there's teams like Oregon and Stanford I don't know if you know this Shane they they don't uh, 
go to class for the first month of football. They don't start until late September, early October. So I don't know if there's anything that says these football games have to start the first week of September. Obviously, they're all starting late August this year. Mm -hmm. I mean, Florida-Miami's August 24. So I don't understand this. I think they just need to kick the season back, you know, make it a little bit earlier. I know it's hot out and, and fans don't like being out in the hot. And, you know, there's player safety issues with just playing in hot temperatures. But if you're talking about starting a week early and getting a secondary buy, I think every single player, every single coach is going to take that deal. And I'm already hearing these players talk about, uh, you know, the advantages of a double buy for the 2019 season. Yeah, it just it just seems to me like player health is such a big concern that when they went to this two-week two buy, that mm-hmm. that was the whole point. I can't imagine... I mean, honestly, if it's weather, what's one week going to – I mean, there's not a huge difference in one week. It's still going to be hot, you know, next week. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So I don't I don't understand the advantage to that, you know, or disadvantage. I just think that this is good for the players to get rest. And, I mean, there's a lot of these little injuries, these lingering injuries that players play – they play through, and an additional buy could help them get their bodies right. So, yeah, this one really surprised me. And then if you want to go take it a step further, Shane, I don't know what it is, but it just seems like more and more we're having games early in the season get canceled, whether it's from, you know, rain or lightning or what have you. I mean, I think in two or three SEC, I think three seasons in a row now, we've had at least one game canceled in the SEC. You know, they have to make it up like last year, South Mm -hmm. Carolina played during the SEC championship weekend. Giving everyone two buys, that gives you extra flexibility in case there is a cancellation. So if they want to make more sense fiscally, they could also do it that way. So I don't know. I, I'm I'm kind of like you. I'm stunned that that uh, they're going back to one buy. I just I don't think it's in the best interest of the players. And and here's a perfect example, Shane. Here's another one of my takeaways from this schedule release. So I'm going to run off a list of Arkansas's games from mm-hmm. September 12th. So early mid-September all the way to mid-November, and this is consecutive, at Notre Dame, at Mississippi State, against Texas A&M, Charleston Southern at home, that's an easy one, but the rest, Alabama at home, LSU at home, get a bye week, then they get Tennessee at home, and then they go to Auburn. I mean, that's a that's a damn gauntlet right there, isn't it? Holy Mike, jeez. Yeah, that don't make sense. Morris is already looking at that schedule, you know. Maybe he mm-hmm. could talk some sense into him, you know. There's nothing <laughs> you can do about it next year, but the year after, I mean, if you've had a taste of this, let's let's play at least I think if they make this rule, you should do it for at least two seasons. I mean, mm-hmm. they're they're making this this judgment and we haven't even got to do it yet. So at the end of this season, if we see an improvement in health with the players, then, you know, I say keep it. And if you didn't notice a huge difference or if you saw a decline in attendance or something like that, then maybe we adjust it back. But they haven't even gave this thing a shot, Mike. No, and I I don't understand it. All right, here's another takeaway, Shane. Check out Florida's away schedule. Now, of course, they do play Georgia and Jacksonville, so we all know that. But you want to talk true road games. Florida only has four in 2020, and here they are at Tennessee – at Ole Miss, at Vanderbilt, and at Florida State. Mm. And I, I think you can make a case that all four of those programs are currently in, in rebuild mode. 
You know, there is no such thing as an easy schedule in the SEC, but Florida in 2020, uh, they've got a hell of a road schedule to where, I mean, it could, be, it could be a special season here for the Gators in 2020 based on that. <laughs> Dude, I'm taking the over. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. I wish that was our schedule. And then here's another takeaway that I had, Shane. LSU in South Carolina, they have incredible closes to the season. I don't know which one's tougher. Uh, check out South Carolina's November in 2020. They they host Georgia. Mm-hmm. Then they go to LSU. They get Woford, which should be a layup. But then they go to Clemson. So we're talking three teams that potentially top ten. <laughs> that's that's tough. And then a lot of people saying LSU is even tougher, Shane. To close November in 2020, LSU hosts Alabama. They host South Carolina. Mm-hmm. They go to Auburn. And they go to Texas A&M. So, I mean, that's a gauntlet, too. Yeah, I think LSU's got the tougher one here. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that Wofford, you know, as much as I want to call it a trap game, I think uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to go LSU here. <laughs> one other note here, Shane. I don't know if this is particularly noteworthy for you, but I have heard people referencing it. Um, you know, typically, all the way back to the 2008 season, Auburn and Alabama – you know, they, they always play at the end of the season in the Iron Bowl, but mm-hmm. since 2008, they've always had an FCS team the week before, so it's almost like a it's almost like a given bye week. Yeah. And the SEC has done away with that. So Alabama has to play Texas A&M before the Iron Bowl the, the week before, and Auburn has to play LSU. Uh, any thoughts on loading up uh, the schedule there for Alabama and Auburn? Golly, if anybody's going to be singing about the, the two bye weeks, it's going to be Nick Saban after this one, man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, that's incredible. I don't I don't understand why people, why anyone was complaining. I want the Iron Bowl to be, you know, the best game possible. Yeah. Give some of these players a week off if they don't need it to, to face, you know, Alabama A&M or whatever. But I don't know. I don't know if this makes much sense to make these uh, two teams that are probably going to be contending for the division – have to play such tough games to close out. No, I agree, man. Uh, real quick, is there any any of these teams going to be hosting a week zero game like we got Florida and Miami this year? Is it is anybody going to be doing it a week early? Uh, not that we're aware of, but sometimes things like that can be moved up. Oh, so they can flex that later. Yeah, that's okay. and that's how the Florida Miami one went. And I mean, we got some some decent candidates like Alabama and USC are opening the season once again in Dallas. Oh, that'd be a good one. That could potentially be one. Georgia versus Virginia, which I don't follow much ACC, but I hear Virginia is a really up and coming team. You know, they beat the hell out of South Carolina in the bowl game, so that, right. that's that's a candidate. Some people are talking about that coach up there that he may be the next one that enters the SEC. I don't know if you've heard that, but it seems like Virginia is moving in the right direction. So that'd be pretty cool. And then one final one, Shane. This is uh, one of the best games on the SEC slate in 2020. Vanderbilt opens the season against Mercer. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that's probably that's probably not going to get Mercer's flexed. Uh, is it in Kentucky? No, I have no idea. Honestly, I don't. I just say that because Ron Mercer probably. <laughs> It's Troy D. Mercer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Shane, you, <laughs> you ready to go around the league? Let's do it. Now let's go now around, let's the go around, the around the league. 
We, we haven't decided how we're going to play the guys, so and I wouldn't tell you if I did. So, you know, I don't mind you asking a question, but I don't need to answer it. No, I mean, I'll be whistling Rocky Top by the end of the week. All our players, I mean, it's just like, right? I mean, just hear it over and over, and, you know, like every other or every third song, it'll roll through within the crowd noise that we play at practice, so you just uh, you get used to it. It's a catchy tune, right? I mean, this game's gonna be a street fight. This game's gonna be a street fight. I mean, some of you guys don't know who Kimbo Slice is. Hopefully you do. Um, and you go back to it, man, this isn't a sanctioned fight. This is a street fight. I mean, this is the SEC. So, man, it's time. It's time to put on the hard hat, launch bail, let's get to work. All right, Shane, so let's start here in Gainesville. Where we don't have a big clip here by any means, but I just thought this was noteworthy because you know, we touched on Dan Mullen and his mentioning that uh, there may not be quite the alpha dog mentality or just the players necessarily to fit that role at Gainesville. Uh, Felipe Franks was recently asked about that, and, you know, he kind of contradicted that claim. I think we got a bunch of good guys. I mean, a bunch of people that are just alpha dogs. I don't think you can just narrow it down to just one. Like I said, there's different types of alpha dogs. There's people that talk and you know they're you know they go out there but there's also people that just do it with their actions like I mean, Josh not very talkative but you know he shows you with his actions he does everything right um, you know but there's also there's more vocal guys like Freddie um, just different people I mean on the team have different types of leadership and um, I think you can be an alpha dog in different kind of ways. But we like we silent leaders so our play it, it rubs off on others so one so if CJ have two pass breakups I gotta get three. Marco have two picks TJ got to get three picks. Just like, we just go out there and do our job and we motivate each other. So, so before the game, we already know just because it's DBU, so we're going to feed off each other. So that's how we lead. Well, Shane, this was uh, the most uh, calm alpha dog speech I've ever heard. Are you buying it? Are you buying that Felipe is uh, an alpha dog down there? Nope. <laughs> no. No. And who's this other cat that was with him? Uh, so, this was defensive back Trey Dean, a sophomore. You got to think that he's not one of the guys if if you know oh, four has got a no he said silent we got a lot of silent leaders on our team <laughs> what <laughs> who wants silent leaders you want vocal leaders you want somebody pumping your team up and getting their ass in gear so uh that is not i mean a lot of people came out and said when dan did this he did this for the players and and maybe he did uh mm -hmm. because Maybe he knew all these reporters were going to go to guys like Felipe and say, hey, uh, coach is saying you ain't got any alpha dogs on this team. You know, maybe that fires him up. So maybe, maybe one or two are going to emerge during fall camp, but this is not a good sign. I mean, I mean, there was no, there was no fire in Felipe's voice here. You know what I'm saying? It's like we're in the library. Did they shoot this thing in a library? You know? <laughs> yeah, I tend to agree with you there because, you know, if you're a leader, I don't think you really have to say you're a leader. You just kind of, you just are, you know what I mean? You, <laughs> you carry yourself that way. And this may be what Dan Mullen's talking about because I think oftentimes, not, you know, I've been harsh on Florida, so I, I don't want anyone to take this like I'm trashing them, but sometimes when a coach is calling this out, I mean, he, he's looking for someone to emerge. And if maybe they just think that there's, you know, that type of mentality, but when things get tough, are those guys there? Were right. those the guys that graduated last season when the when the times got tough? I mean, this is a team, 
you know, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to Missouri, but Missouri went in there and whooped Florida, and that was the week after the Georgia game. I think if that game's played any other time, I don't think Florida would have got whooped, but they just kind of, you know, they just coming off that ter- that tough loss to Georgia. So mm-hmm. that, I think, is what Dan Mullen is trying to eliminate. If a loss happens during the season, you know, who are going to be the guys that, that take charge and make sure that the, the team doesn't kind of limp into the next week? That's a great point, Mike, because you're going to have some tough games, you're going to have some tough situations, and you've got to have a player or two to step up and take control of the, of the locker room because coaches can yell at you, they can do whatever, but, I mean, when it's a, a peer telling you to do it and telling you to get your ass in gear, it, it creates a new uh, a new culture. So uh, that hasn't happened yet. Of course, again, we just started fall camp, so hopefully by the time we play this Miami game, we'll have a couple leaders on that team. All right, Shane, let's jump on down to Oxford. Auditario, miss. Where offensive coordinator Rich Rodriguez, he got to speak with the media here recently, and I thought it was pretty interesting how his thoughts on the implementation of his offensive system, you know, that's what everybody's wanting to see. Everyone's expecting big things from Rich Rod. You know, he's got a lot to prove after what happened there at his tenure there in Arizona. He kind of got fired for... He doesn't think he des- he deserved to be fired. Well, the only way to <laughs> to get back there is to turn around this old Miss offense in a hurry. But uh, as you can see in this clip, I mean they're doing it with just young players all over the roster, and I don't know how confident I would be after hearing this these comments from Rich Rudd. You said you were going to kind of be ambitious early on with install. How, mm-hmm. How's that kind of going? Right yeah, we were really ambitious, and uh, four or five days in, we have probably seventy percent of what our offense will be. Now, it's not game specific to Memphis yet or anything like that, but I was a little nervous about that with so many freshmen going to be in a two deep, but we're trying to force feed it and they're handling it pretty well. What have you thought of uh, Matt's progress through the first week of camp or so? It's been good. You know, Matt, one thing about Matt, he loves to play. He's eager to learn. You know, he makes a few mistakes and it, that's sometimes I got to remember, he hasn't played a whole lot either. He's a redshirt freshman. So there's some of that experience that we still got to get, and then he's still learning a new system. Uh, but he gets a little bit better every day, and uh, I'm, I'm really confident that uh, Matt uh, could have a really good year for us. All right, Chase, so there you have it from Rich Rod. He's imp- not implemented the entire system yet, but uh, how curious are you to see the Rebels in action under Rich Rod this season? Oh, real curious, man. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen this man in action. I didn't watch him any when he was out west. So, uh, and honestly, I didn't watch too much when he was up north. So I'm kind of pumped up to see this offense, uh, just kind of see what product he puts on the field. Just because I, I really don't know. I mean, can you elaborate? Because I haven't done a lot of research on mm-hmm. Rich. What what's style of offense is he probably going to be bringing here to Ole Miss? Well, it's probably going to be something that looks, I don't want to say similar to last year, but just very – you know, three receivers, four receivers, sometimes five receivers. So it looks like a pass-heavy set, but they love to run the ball out of it. Okay. And they'll mo- they'll motion receivers into the backfield. They'll run some triple option. They'll run. You know, they'll have two running backs in the backfield, and you just that's another thing I want to get into is these running backs. But they'll have two back there so that the defense doesn't really know which one to key on. You know, they'll fake to one, give it to the other. Um, and that's the biggest thing that Ole Miss has going for him, in my opinion, with Scotty Phillips 
and this incoming freshman, Jerion Ely, who's, who apparently is living up to the hype. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's jump to Rich Rod talking about having both of those guys in his backfield. Seems like the 10 personnel look with uh, both Elijah and Tylen on the field kind of opens up things. Have you liked what you look from putting them on the field at the same time? Yeah, traditionally, uh, when we first started doing this offense for years, it was 70% 10 personnel. And we've evolved to doing kind of balance with 10, 11, and 20, and even some 12. Um, but we'll probably, we have, you know, we did in the spring, but we have now enough we think too deep to do 10, more 10. And in fact, today's practice, we did more 10 personnel than we had uh, the rest of the camp. All right, Chad, so there you have it from Rich Rod. And, uh, you know, if you didn't understand what he's talking about with those numbers and stuff, he's just talking about uh, how many backs are on the field, how many tight ends are on the field. Uh, at, at times, they'll have two backs, no tight ends. Sometimes they'll have one tight end, one halfback, and, and things of that nature. So that's what he was talking about with the numbers. But th- this is... Uh, you know, with a freshman quarterback, you got to assume that they're really going to lean on the running game, and particularly with a Rich Rod system, it seems like that's what he's typically done in the past. So that's that's what I'm thinking is going to happen. But I'm just curious how he gets these guys involved in the in the running game. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you, and and I think you're going to see more running from a quarterback this year with Matt. I mean, some people don't remember. I mean, he's he had a couple long touchdowns last year with his legs so um yeah expect a lot more running from this team than passing even though like you said you're going to get that some of that misdirection three four wide receiver sets i mean there's going to be a lot of running in this game so um i like it because i like the running backs i think they're sneaky good man yeah and while the schedule is somewhat challenging to start obviously at memphis and home for arkansas you know that we've talked about the challenge of that, but also the opportunity in that. Because if you want to flip it and say, you know, I I don't know a ton about Memphis's defense, but you got to think they're not going to have many SEC athletes on on their defensive sides, particularly. They're more of an offensive program. And then week two against Arkansas, which they're starting to get better, but they still have questions all over the field. If there's one team in the SEC you could potentially manhandle, you know physical running style it's going to be potentially arkansas so you know while every many not you but me more (laughs) are downplaying Ole miss in the season ahead Mm -hmm. i mean they have a real opportunity here to set the tone and just show everybody what they're about and and there's a chance against two quality opponents that uh that they show something in this running game oh yeah dude i'm saying it right now mike it's august and Ole miss is going to make a bowl game this year they're going to surprise some teams well, that surprised the hell out of me. I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> All right, Shane, let's jump on down to Tuscaloosa. Roll Tide! Roll Nick Saban. He met with the media here recently, and, uh, you know, they the Crimson Tide got their first scrimmage of training camp coming up, and old St. Nick, he's fired up about it, Shane. He, he didn't even wait for the question. He's said, uh, hell, I know you're going to ask me about it, so I'm going to give you the goals of the scrimmage. Saturday in the scrimmage, I'm sure somebody will ask, what, what do you want to get out of the scrimmage on Saturday? I think really we're not really trying to get the team like play it like a game so that everybody's getting more game ready. I think the next step is is to put the players out there, the coaches aren't out there, uh, make make it like a game situation, but really – be able to do the things that they can do so that we can evaluate them as football players. What is their ability to execute? Do they have, you know, the kind of toughness that we need? 
can they sustain and focus, whether they made a good play or a bad play the last play. So uh, we don't have to really decide about who we're going to coach this early in camp. Uh, but I think how they respond on Saturday goes a long way to telling you if a guy has the right stuff relative to the maturity uh, to be able to be trustworthy to go out there and do a job, whether it's on special teams, offense, defense, or whatever part of our team. So that's going to be the number one priority for the scrimmage on Saturday. All right, Shane. So Nick Saban setting out the goals there for the first scrimmage of the training camp here. And, you know, he didn't call anyone out specifically, but it's kind of – Seems like he's really obviously they've have a loaded roster, but he's it seems like he's waiting for the cream of the crop on his roster to rise, you know, take up that mantle, earn starting positions. You know, there's several plays, players already cemented in the lineup, but at Alabama, that's one of the things that uh, keeps their role going. I mean, you could be an all conference player one season, you don't show up and you get out performed by a younger player the next your ass is on the bench so it seemed to me like Nick Saban was letting everyone know uh, he needs to see something from him in this scrimmage yeah open season and I like how he just hey I know you're gonna ask the question I've done a million of these so this is what we're gonna do <laughs> you know he just right to the point and he called him out and like you said uh I think there's some open spots on this team that will be decided here in the next week or two you know Oh yeah, without a doubt there are. Now, one position that I'm, you know, I'm kind of bold on this, but I think Trey Sanders by the end of the season, I think he's going to be Alabama's starting running back. I've said it before, not a huge fan of Najee Harris. I don't care how many All SEC, All American <laughs> preseason teams he's on, but uh, old Nick was asked about Trey Sanders, his five-star freshman. And remember, Shane, this is the guy that uh, he guaranteed he's going to win the Heisman Trophy his true freshman season here. Oh yeah. Uh, it seems like Saban is pretty impressed by the young running back. Staying on running backs, uh, what does Trey Sanders bring to the unit? And given your success with two backs last year on the field, is that something that he could do? Could he, could he come in as a second back? I, I really don't know. Uh, Trey Sanders is doing really, really well in camp. Um, his work ethic is really good. Uh, he's learning every day. Um, you know, his attention to detail seems to be pretty good. He's got some ability that I think may be able to contribute to the team. But again, you know, after five practices and one day in pads, uh, we're not ready to post a starting lineup. We're not ready to post roles for everybody on the team. Uh, I think right now everybody's focus should be, what do I need to do to improve? Um, what can I do right now today to improve? Um, so I can have more success as a player. I can create more value for myself, and I can go earn it in terms of what we want to try to accomplish personally and together as a team. All right, Shane. So Saban praised him immediately, and then it seemed like he pulled that one back pretty quick and said, hey, you know, ain't nobody done nothing. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. But I, I think that's, a, that's about as complimentary as Nick Saban is going to get about a true freshman one week into camp. Yeah, but I'm hearing a lot of things out of camp, Mike, that they really like this kid. So I'm like, I'm with you. I think that this thing is going to be a full two-headed monster, and maybe three-headed. I mean, hell, they may have – they've got so many – they're not as – I don't think they're as deep as Georgia, but, man, mm -hmm. they're right there at it. I think we're going to see three or four of these guys come out, but uh, this one right here, he's just so versatile that I think he's going to be tough to keep off the field. Yeah, so I think coming out of this weekend scrimmage, I think Trey Sanders is one that I'll really very be eager to see how he performs. 
I don't, you know, I obviously don't think he'll be leapfrog and Najee Harris immediately, but if he continues to progress, there's there's a chance that I'm right there. Yeah. All right, Shane, let's jump on down to Starkville. Well, Joel Moorhead met with the media here on Wednesday, and, you know, one thing, one of the biggest weaknesses, I know everyone wants to talk about the quarterback position, Shane, but Mississippi State has got some real issues at the receiver position last year. And they bring in the Kansas State graduate, graduate transfer, Isaiah Zuber, uh, I've been hearing terrific things about their junior college signee, Javante Payton, mm-hmm. who I'm sure Mississippi State fans know this, but originally signed with Ole Miss out of high school, so they snagged that one right out from under the Rebels. But uh, Joe Moorhead is pretty, pretty happy with his young receivers, his new receivers, and uh, this could be an X factor not many people are talking about here in Mississippi State's offense. How is uh, Zuber kind of picking up the offense so far? Uh, really well. I think when you go back and look at his stuff at uh, Kansas State, uh, you know, he played a variety of positions, played the slot, played both outside positions. Uh, so, um, you know, more than anything, it's, it's, it's formations, it's language, you know, some of the things that we do in, in the past game that are, you know, route adjustment oriented. Uh, um, so, I, Coach Johnson's doing a real, real good job with those guys, and Isaiah's picking up quickly. Because of that versatility, do you anticipate being able to kind of move them around the formation? Yeah, we, we want to cross train our, our receivers like we do our offensive line. We necessarily don't want to get one guy locked into a position, uh, you know. And what, with our pass game, it's it's taught conceptually rather than by position. So it's not about, you know, what does the X, the Z, or the H have in, on this route. It's in my in my field number one, field number two, or field number three, boundary number one, or boundary number two. So, you know, based on what the formation is, you kind of plug them into those spots. So uh, I think, you know, that uh, you know that flexibility will allow us to put people where they need to be. Some of the stuff we got to see, Javante Payton's look. We'll yeah. Good out there. Has he continued to look good when we leave the practice field? Yeah. Has he been impressing you guys? Yeah, they've. Uh, you know, we. Uh, you know, I, I think last year, uh, haven't been able to pass the ball very successfully. Essentially, everywhere I've been, uh, you know, was uh, pretty optimistic of the strides we were going to take in year one in the transition offenses. And you know, I said it before, and it probably bears repeating. I thought we could go from A to Z, and we went from A to M. Went from a season where we had a 250-yard receiver as a leader to two guys having 400, and uh, you know I think with the with the skill that we have returning and those guys having another year and understanding in the system, in addition to the guys we brought in, uh, you know that was one of our goals offensively in, into fall camp is improving the efficiency, the explosiveness uh, of, the, of the pass game, and I think the guys will allow us to do that. All right, Shane. So you know Joe Moore had made some points there. You know I don't, I don't know if he really took over that great of a situation at receiver. Dan Mullen. He's had some great receivers during his time at Mississippi State, but I don't know that he really had any on the roster when he left. So, you know, Moorhead's right a little bit. They they definitely did show progression last year, but you throw into the mix these two new faces. Uh, Mississippi State could go from someone that we looked down upon at the receiver position to being, you know, a solid SEC receiving core by the season's end, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I, th- I, I think any – I, I honestly believe they won, like, out of all the SEC teams, transfer portal. A lot of people think Kelly and Nance up there at uh, Missouri. I, I think that was great. But I think, I think, in my opinion, that Mississippi State got the pieces that they were missing. Uh, not just one spot, but multiple spots. So I really like what they picked up here. Yeah, in addition to the transfer portal, Shane, obviously the biggest one there, Tommy Stevens, Penn State quarterback. 
And we've toyed around with the fact that uh, if he doesn't win this job or if Keaton Thompson doesn't win this job, could they potentially have another role in this offense? Joe Moorhead's done that before at Penn State. He did it, obviously, with Tommy Stevens at Penn State. So uh, Joe Moorhead, he did not – well, he, he does – I don't think he's ready to go down that road just yet, but he didn't kill that narrative either. After just a couple of practice and then a year being away from him, is Tommy still the same quarterback you remember? Have you seen a change in him since y'all been a part of here? Uh, well, I mean, I've, it's been almost two full years, so I mean, what I remember – Last is, you know, the Maryland game where I think he threw for one, ran for two. I think he had 100, 100, 100 rushing maybe and 100 passing. So that was a good memory. But uh, I think like anything in any quarterback in any position, you know, another year in a similar type of system, you know, because Coach Ronnie and Penn State kind of implemented the same deal. You see just a mature guy. And I think with anything, him being a grad transfer, there's that final year urgency about him. So, so more than anything, I think an increased understanding of the system. But I see a real a more mature and more urgent player is what I'm seeing from Tommy. You yeah. played Tommy at, uh, at wide receiver some uh, when he was up there. Is there yeah. a plan if, if he doesn't win or if KT doesn't win? Whoever Is there a plan to maybe find another position for them? We have not discussed that. We're focusing on you know what they're going to do to win the job and you know assuming one of the two is going to win it. And then when that happens, you know, our job is to identify who our playmakers are and put them in a position to be successful. So if, if the guy who doesn't win it is a guy that can, you know, play a running back position or a like Cordell Stewart, Steeler reference, slash kind of role and, and, and uh, you know, do some things like we did with Tommy at Penn State and did a little, a little tiny bit with KT last year, uh, then we'll do that. All right, Shane, he gave a shout-out to your boy Cordell slash Stewart there. <laughs> the old Pittsburgh guys there know who that guy is. But uh, what are your thoughts on this one, Shane? Because – you know, I think we've hit on it there that if Keaton loses this job, he's I think he'll leave, but I'm not hearing anything. That's just a guess. But Tommy Stevens, if he doesn't get this job, you know, he's lost two quarterback competitions already. So yeah. maybe this guy just doesn't know how to win quarterback competitions. I don't know. But could you see Tommy Stevens potentially filling in uh, as just kind of like an H-back, tight end, slash quarterback, receiver, everything here from Mississippi State next season? If he loses, yes, um, I, I could definitely see. I mean, this is it. This is he's a grad transfer. He's got nowhere else to go. So I think that he's going to give everything he can to put some film on tape. You know what I'm saying? So right. I, I I think that he's going to do whatever is best for the team. You know, comparing with Cordell Stewart, I I, I, I like Slash. It's better than turnover Tommy. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I'm I'm down with that. So I just. He was quick to say that this is still a competition. So we may be saying, what's Keaton going to do? Yeah, I think so. But because you just, I don't know, it just doesn't seem like they have confidence in him based on all the offseason moves. But, you know, if he emerges, maybe he develops during this camp. A lot of players, you know, the light turns on for them during this time, during the training camp when the coaches get all the time in the world to coach these guys up to work with them. You know, maybe maybe it finally clicks for Keaton there in that offense. But well, this is. Let me ask you something on this, because they're in a weird situation. You start Keaton, Tommy will play wide receiver, okay, or H back, whatever you want. But if you start Tommy, Keaton's gone. So you know, it's kind of like a, you know, I'm I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I mean, you're kind of having to choose. Do you want both players? Or do you want one? Now, I don't feel like he's got the confidence in Keaton at this moment. But in practice, if it's really close and maybe even just a little bit ahead with Tommy, I think I still think he runs with Keaton just because he knows Tommy's going to play receiver. <laughs> <laughs> Am I wrong? 
I mean, what maybe, would you? What I'm, would you do? Yeah, that'd be tight because I don't know. That's a tough one, Shane. Because even if the if it's if it's split, I think if it's split, they're just going to play them both at quarterback and see which one does better on the field. Because I don't think you can afford to have Tommy Stevens being a receiver, H-back, what have you, while they're game planning for these opponents and they're not fully invested. You know, if it's if, it, if we're just splitting hairs here, yeah. because if you're not preparing Tommy Stevens to play quarterback, even if it's in a backup role, uh, then I think you're looking at a redshirt freshman or a potentially a true freshman as your backup. And I know that's being done all across the SEC, but I – I do not. Uh, I do not advise anyone to be doing that. You know. Right. Right. Especially with because he's going to want to run these quarterbacks regardless. Exactly. All right, Shane. Let's jump on down to Auburn. War damn eagle. Where Gus Malzahn met with the media here on Thursday, and he recapped Auburn's first scrimmage of training camp, Shane. And let's jump to this one. Obviously, as you would assume, with issues on the offensive line inexperienced at quarterback sounds like the defense really dominated here on Thursday good reps and I think the biggest thing uh, from my standpoint is we got a lot of great information today and like I told our older guys not just uh, on the young guys no those guys we're asking the guys coming back even if they're this and that we're we're asking them to raise their their level so it's going to really uh, be some good information to watch as far as that goes the defense um, especially the orange defense dominated the scrimmage uh, had a very good day. I think they forced three turnovers. I think it was two interceptions, one a pick six, and then a, uh, a fumble. So they were getting after it. They were flying uh, to the ball uh, and all that. But, you know, I think all of our running backs got a chance to touch the ball. You know, you're always worried or not worried. You're always uh, curious uh, in the first scrimmage about protecting the football from a running back standpoint. Quarterbacks, you know, we tried to put a few different things on. Usually this is a base scrimmage, and it was to a certain point, but at the same time there's also plays that we know we're going to carry for the first game that we ran today too, and that's by design just to try to give them as many reps uh, at, at some of the specific things we're going to do in that first game and, and make them more comfortable with the different looks um, that we see. But like I said, overall, it, w- it was a success from the standpoint of uh, giving everybody a chance, evaluation, it was it was hot. And I think that is is really a positive thing to uh, find who will push through, who, who needs to, to, to push through a little bit more and, and, and who was flying to the ball. Th- this scrimmage will really be highly graded on effort um, and just our Auburn standard um, as far as that goes. All right, Shane, so there you have it. Gus says the defense dominated, and uh, I thought the funniest thing I heard all damn day on Thursday. So one of these quarterbacks threw an interception, another one fumbled. Uh, Gus Malzahn was asked, who threw the pick? That's a good question. Well, who, fumbled the pe- who fumbled the ball? That's another good question. And then he moved on. <laughs> <laughs> We can't even let that information out. I mean, oh, my God. Oh, man. I'll tell you what. If you're going to break in these quarterbacks and get them ready for Oregon, what better defense than to do it against your own? And if if you can find a quarterback that can move the ball against some of these guys, I think that – I mean, I really do think that's going to harden that quarterback up quick. So, I love the answers, though. I just thought that was hilarious. Yeah, and so obviously Gus Malzahn in the past all offseason, he said he'd like to get this thing done – quickly the quarterback competition that is and he was asked about uh, how much closer he is after this first scrimmage 
And it does not sound like he got anywhere with this one. Oh, 100%. Yeah, they're going to need as many reps as they can get back there behind. They're going to need to feel that. And kind of like I said, I think different than some years is, you know, these scrimmages, you know, we've kind of already looked ahead at Oregon. And some of the things that, that we know we're going to do, give them as many reps as we can doing them so they're, they're more reactive instead of uh, have to think. You know, it doesn't matter. Our defense is different than theirs, but still, I uh, just want our guys to be comfortable with what we call. So, you know, we'll continue to do that. But scrimmages, nothing like a scrimmage from a quarterback. That's what they look forward to, and that's what the coaches look forward to. And, you know, you find out a lot when you just go plays and you spot the ball and you bring it back and you run another play. But there's nothing like being out there, the down and distance, being able to think like a quarterback and really be thinking like a coach too. You know, when you get out of the pocket, you're going to run for it. Or you're behind the line of scrimmage, you're going to throw it away. I mean, all those things that, you know, that it takes takes time developing a quarterback, that's when you learn, you know, when they're when you're in scrimmage situations. All right, Shane, so they're going to need at least another scrimmage, certainly it sounds <laughs> like, before they get into Oregon prep and figure this thing out. But uh, I don't know. It, 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 you know, based on Gus Malzahn and his – secrecy i mean who knows if he's telling the truth here but he doesn't sound very positive on uh, who they're going to play under center at this point no but it does sound to me like they're getting more game ready you know this a lot of people are trying to get their offense in get their defense in just get the the, the little stuff i really do think that auburn is going to start game prepping for oregon a week early and just because they're going to have to decide on the quarterback situation, they like he said, you, he wants these guys reacting, not uh, not guessing or, or however he worded it. You know what I'm saying? So they got to be game ready. So don't be surprised if they don't start implementing a game plan a week early for Oregon. Last thing on Auburn here, Shane. I thought this was pretty smart of Gus Malzahn on how he decided to end the scrimmage. I think this is perfect coaching right here. And uh, Andres Carlson had a 58-yard uh, field goal in the scrimmage too, so that's always good. And you know, and then at the very end, we we pulled him up and had the team up there for a 47-yard right hash. Uh, if he missed it, 10 up downs for the whole team. And if he made it, we win the championship type deal. And he drilled it right down the middle. So just trying to put him in as many pressure situations too, because the likelihood of with our schedule, there'll be a lot of games to have a chance to go down towards the end. All right, Shane. So Anders Carlson. <laughs> Younger brother, Daniel Carlson, of course. Sounds like he's got an NFL leg. He kicked a damn near 60-yarder today. But to end, end practice, he made him make the kick under some pressure. Obviously not as much pressure as he's going to face in an SEC game, but uh, Carlson missed 10 kicks last year as, as during his redshirt freshman season. So they need to get this guy corrected, get his head into the game. He's obviously got a ton of talent. And uh, Auburn, like Gus Malzahn said, they're going to be in some tight games. They need to make sure their kicker, uh, you know, is able to hit clutch kicks. This is smart. I like this. <laughs> uh, usually it's always the, the fat lineman out there trying to catch a punt, you know. So <laughs> uh, that is that is a great way to get your kicker motivated if uh, everybody else has got to. I, I wish he would have had it like everybody's got to do a lap or do some gashers or something like that if he misses because then the whole team's like upset that you missed a kick i mean that creates a lot of pressure <laughs> when you go back to the locker room you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. yeah without a doubt all right shane let's jump on down to vanderbilt make it down commodore's offensive coordinator jerry godowski 
name many people may not know he's going to be the new coordinator down there in Nashville. Uh, he was asked about the ongoing quarterback competition again between graduate transfer Riley Neal and in, and junior quarterback Deuce Wallace. Um, it sounds like he likes both of his options under center. Are you looking to the quarterbacks, whichever one you're leaning toward, to to kind of dictate what routes work, what call, what play calls work? Is that up to them at all? A little bit, yeah. I mean, I think you're always trying to, to fit what, you know, you do best with your personnel and what they do best. And, you know, we're, we're multiple enough that we're able to do enough things that, you know, whatever a guy does well, especially at the quarterback position, you know, we're going to navigate that direction. Do you look at, like, their skill set as far as maybe – the guy that's ahead has upside or he has total grasp of the playbook or what are the parameters there of of evaluating them i mean it's a daily thing you know i think you know obviously when when you look at at deuce and riley you know riley has more game experience deuce has more experience in our offense so you know it's kind of an interesting dynamic that way um you know i think riley's definitely you know between the spring and summer, gotten a lot more comfortable with with what we're doing, and and Deuce is healthy and and you know looks good. So um, it's going to be a you know fun couple weeks here to to figure it out. You have a since since you do have those skill guys, is the quarterback's job almost a distributor? Is that is that the best way to look at it? A little bit, you know. I think you know obviously. You know, when I look at the quarterback position, you got, you know, ball security is the number one thing. You know, you got to possess the ball. You got to be able to execute the offense, which is kind of what you're talking about. Um, but the, the guys that kind of separate themselves are the ones that can, can make plays on their own a little bit too. You know, whether it's um, something with their feet, um, something with their mind as far as making a check or doing something at the line of scrimmage. And, and really, you know, that's where I think sometimes the great and good can kind of separate themselves in that in that regard. All right, Shane, so he said quite a bit there, but, uh, you know, he's not tipping his hand, but I thought it was interesting. You know, I think he was t- clearly talking about Riley Neal when he's talking about a quarterback being able to make plays with his legs because Riley Neal did that at Ball State, a very effective passer, but also a good rusher, mm-hmm. whereas Deuce Wallace, they're not changing up the offense much from the Andy Ludwig era, so – He's much more comfortable, can make these checks. I mean, I didn't really get much from this in terms of who's leading the race, but I think for Vanderbilt, that's probably a good thing. You don't want uh, – maybe this is kind of like what Derek Mason said. Maybe they have faith in both of these guys. They're just trying to push everybody on the roster uh, to earn their job, and, and it starts up top with this, these quarterbacks. Yeah, absolutely. And i tell you what, man, he's seen – I mean, he sounded positive. He's saying all the right things, so – Uh, That's the one spot that, of course, I know Mason's embracing the quarterback challenge up there, but, uh, you know, it sounds to me like we've got uh, two qualified candidates here. Well, either that, Shane, or I just thought to myself, they're either both qualified or maybe they both suck. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to say it, you know. I'm trying (laughs) Based on what he had to say, I don't think that's the case. But, I mean, you can make the case, I guess. Dude, I am trying. Uh, one second, Mike. Can we pause for just a second? Uh-huh. All right. After a 20-minute delay, we're back <laughs> at it. <laughs> no, it ain't that. I just wish I'd give this man a shout-out because it was the perfect tweet. 
because he was saying he looks like one of those guys that you see off of, uh, you know, those crab catching shows up there in Alaska. And he kind of does. If you look at this offensive coordinator, it looks like he's been out on the ocean for about 17 days. He just came in with a nice big catch. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry he's, I can't remember who did he's, Well, he's definitely fishing for a starter. I'll give you that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, Shane, let's jump on down to Rocky Tap. Old Jeremy Pruitt, he met with the media here on Wednesday, and he confirmed the unfortunate news, Shane. Emmett Gooden out for the season. We touched on it on the last podcast. Uh, let's jump to Pruitt on that situation and where Tennessee goes from here on the defensive line. You know, unfortunately, last night, uh, Emmett Gooden suffered a, a knee injury, and uh, won't be with us this year, and it's unfortunate for him uh, and for a football team. But, you know, Emmett's a guy that's got another year, and he'll uh, continue with uh, going to school and, and uh, uh, get ready to come back um, next spring and, and next fall. You know? Jimmy, with, with that injury to, to Gooden, does that make you all have to consider moving somebody else over there numbers-wise no. or, or how? No, we, we, we got – uh, we'll just move some guys up there. You know, we, we've got um, 10 guys there right now. So working in the defensive line and, you know, there, there's there's not a whole lot of difference in any of them. Uh, you know, some of them have played in some games, some of them hadn't. So uh, they all have strengths and weaknesses, uh, but most of them have very limited game experience. All right, Shane, so I wanted to get your thoughts on this one because – you know, Pruitt's kind of saying the right things, but yeah. based on his answer, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. Basically, they've got – I think they've got one player, if you don't count Aubrey Solomon, who wasn't there last year. I, I believe they've got one defensive lineman that has ever recorded a tackle at University of Tennessee right now. Mm. And I'm telling you what, we got ten of them, Mike. We got ten <laughs> of these guys, and there ain't much difference between them, I right? You know? So, He's lying. <laughs> Guys, okay, I'm just letting you know. We're in trouble. That is the anchor of our defense, and it was a huge blow, and I really hate it for Emmett. I wish him nothing but the best, uh, full recovery, and, and we'll see him next year. But, damn, man, I mean, it was in a, it couldn't be in a worse position, if you ask me, other than quarterback. Yeah, it's a tough blow. It's interesting that he's going to come back for another year. I mean, I guess that could be assumed, but I was not aware if he had another year remaining or not. But, Tough blow there, Shane, but it's not all bad news here on Rocky Top. So I wanted to get to this comment here because much like Saban, I've not really heard Jeremy Pruitt praise a ton of freshmen, at least by name. You know, he's very high on Henry Toa Toa here. Uh, let's jump to these comments. Uh, Jeremy, with the inside linebackers, how would you describe what you've seen out of Henry Toa Toa and, uh, and J.J. Peterson this fall? Well, you know, JJ's still in a black jersey. Um, he he's he's right at. Um, I guess this will probably be four months and two weeks, so he's about ready to get um, ready to go full contact probably Monday or Tuesday of next week. Um, you know, Henry's a guy that um, things have come real easy to him. Uh, picks things up, um, instinctive, can cover, fits the runs. Uh, it's what you're looking for as a linebacker. Um, you know, he's. He's pretty advanced for a young guy uh, at that position. He's capable of being the signal caller. Um, he's a guy that can play all three downs. And, you know, he, he goes out there and works every day. 
You know, he's a hardworking guy. He's got, he's tough. He's physical. So, um, you know, he's just got to continue to do that and work hard to improve every day. All right, Chad. I know you and your brother, especially, very high on Kavaris Crouch. The outside linebacker looks like uh, a brick shit house. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, he could be the next great pass rushing linebacker at Tennessee. But based on the fact that linebacker is still a new position to him, I know he's a very coveted guy. I always thought that Toa Toa would be the one if he was going to make an impact year one. He comes from an elite. California high school, played linebacker for a long time. He's got the heart of a linebacker. Remember we touched on the fact that he broke his foot, I believe it was his second to last game. Mm-hmm. It was the game up to state. And they said, well, you know, you're going off to college. You could, you, you're you going to sit out the title game, right? And he said, no, I'm going to play on a broken <laughs> leg. I mean, that to me is what you want in a linebacker. Oh, yeah. Uh, and based on what Pruitt's saying, I think, uh, I mean, I think there's an outstanding chance he's good enough. He may even start game one. <laughs> I tell you what, I'm liking the Toa Toa, Mike. You know what I'm saying? I think that this cat is going to be something special. Uh, Pruitt hasn't said a lot of positive thing about these freshmen, but this one he did, and uh, I'm excited. I like the body of work he did at high school, and asking somebody to step in in a linebacker role, that's huge. But to have that, uh, I don't know, to kind of have that praise from your coach, as a true freshman is is definitely a I mean I haven't felt this good about a linebacker or linebacker core since we got AJ and uh Majit you know what I'm saying more good news here I guess you could say Shane for Tennessee uh, the offensive lineman Ryan Johnson who I don't know if you know this Shane but I believe he's already got his degree uh, I think he's working on a second master's degree I mean mm-hmm. this is one of the sharpest guys on Tennessee's roster and he's done that in, in four years. I mean, it's incredible. But he was asked about Jim Chaney and just his, you know, you hear all these things about Jim Chaney, his offensive mind and everything, football guy, obviously. Uh, Ryan Johnson gave, you know, a little little story here on, he just tried to explain it in, in the best terms he could, Jim Chaney's offensive mind. I thought you'd really appreciate this. You can see in a bunch of different places, but one, for example, you'll be watching film with him and you're, you're watching uh... – um, just a play here or there, and he will just come out with something that you just haven't seen before and just one small, minute detail that he can build off of, like uh, a corner's footwork or something like that, and you're just sitting there going, man, I've never thought about that. No, you know, who, who would have possibly thought about that? We're just looking at an inside zone, and you're, you're, you're looking at the, the corner, and you're saying we can exploit that, and it's something, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible that he can just kind of think about that. It's almost like a chess game. It really is, and I, I like playing chess, so that's, uh, I, I guess I can make kind of the illusion to that. Some people play chess one or two moves ahead. Coach Chaney plays chess, or I guess the game of football, 10 or 11 moves ahead. All right, Shane, so I thought I just thought that was a pretty cool little story, but, uh, you know, if Chaney's thinking 10 or 11 steps deep, mm-hmm. that's going to be better than Tyson Helton run up the gut on the first <laughs> <ten> <laughs> That's right. Dude, he's kind of a football savant, Mike. <laughs> I like it. I like it. You know, you you got to have somebody like that 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 is thinking of ahead uh, because sometimes these young players that we're going to have this team aren't going to be able to. But if Coach can recognize something like that, that's just going to help our offense out even more. Well, speaking of helping the offense, the offense, Shane, you got to have some confidence. And that's one thing Juwan Jennings is never lacking. Do you consider yourself the alpha male of the receivers? Uh, I'm alpha male anywhere I go. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, Shay, there you have it. Tennessee's <laughs> most popular player at the moment. Yeah, this is a guy we talked about on a recent podcast. But, I mean, I think this is uh, having this type of mentality for a team that, you know, they're still building and they've still got a long way to go. Uh, I mean, I think people – players around him are just just feed off this kind of energy absolutely man this is like the exact opposite of florida right now you know Jawan jennings is an alpha dog he he's very vocal you saw him at fan day man he had the whole damn crowd cheering for the vols you know what i'm saying so mm-hmm. that's just that's just who he is and and you know i don't i hope he has a great impact on the field but maybe his impact may not be him just catching the ball. It may be him getting these players around him better. So, yeah, I love this. All right, Shane, that's all the news I got. Yeah, you got anything before we hop off here? Yeah, buddy. I've got some reviews, Mike. I also got a mailbag, but we're going to do that one uh, on our probably our Tuesday show, if I'm not mistaken. Right, Mike? So, yep. Um, but without further ado, let's get that music going, Mike. All right, Mike, I got them pulled up here. First one comes from 11Kyle11S. Hell of a podcast. Five star. This podcast is great. I enjoy the content and the breakdown of what's going on in the SEC. Keep up the great work, boys, and go Vols. Kyle, I appreciate you, sir. Yeah, thank you. It means a lot. And I got one more, Mike. This one comes from Pacecar82. says... Balls, five star. Love the show, guys. Best podcast out there. Well, Pace Car, I appreciate you, sir or ma'am. Yeah, we appreciate all our reviews. It really helps the podcast spread and get the word out. So if you haven't done it yet, give us a five star heart there on iTunes and we'll give you a shout out just like we did those two reviews. And uh, also spread the word to anybody that you know that you think may be interested in the podcast. That really helps too. You can always steal a spouse's uh, phone and give us a rating on there as well. <laughs> I know I've done it, Shane. I don't know about you, but that's, uh, right. that's all I got, Shane. I'll catch you on the next one. All right. See you guys. Go balls. You must have some commercial blowers, man. As soon as that thing kicked on, right when you started talking, it uh, it like muffled everything you said. So it was like picking up the wind or something. Okay, hold on. Did you still hear it? Yeah. You better sweat. You better sweat your ass off, Mike. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Here, I got my fan on. I'm going to turn my fan off. It's not fair that we... Do you think I turned it off, or do you think I just act like I turned it off? I think you just act like you turned it off. All right. It'll it'll shut off here soon. I turned it off. I don't know what's going on here. All right, so what did you say about the freshman...